Our scripture lesson for today, the second Sunday of Easter, comes from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verses 1, through chapter 2, verse 2. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do it as true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the blessings of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. My daughter is 14. Right now, she is on her learner's permit, and she is trying to figure out this whole driving situation. Now, she's getting better at it. She's getting better all the time. But it's interesting to think back to those earliest days and the first time she sat behind the wheel, and she was in control of this 3,000-pound car and making it move. That's a scary situation, and I can remember back to my own experience of the first time when I drove something. Now, I grew up on a farm, so perhaps this won't come as a shock to you, but the first thing I ever drove was a tractor when I was about 12 or 13. And Dad had me up on this tractor. We were out on the flat area, and he told me, if things start to feel weird, just step on the clutch. That'll disengage, and you'll stop moving. And honestly, there wasn't really much that could happen anyway because I was in in low one, low first gear, and about the fastest I could manage to go at all would be about two or three miles an hour. So not a whole lot could happen. But I do remember the first time I was actually behind the wheel of a car. And I think the statute of limitations has run out on this. I might be revealing something to my parents, but hey, I'm gonna share it anyway. My older sister actually took me out to this remote area one time and let me drive her car. It was before I was even 14. I wasn't really old enough to be even starting to drive yet. I didn't have a permit yet, but, but she let me anyway. And very, very slowly, just like that first time driving that tractor, I very carefully crept that car basically around a little circle driveway. I didn't really do much, but that was the first experience. And it was scary. It was scary to have this new, new feeling, this new sensation of, of pushing on the gas pedal and feeling the engine and, and seeing things as I go and feeling the steering wheel in my hand and how the, the car reacts to it. It's all these things that you only will know. You can only sort of 
understand when you begin to have that experience for yourself. Now, this speaks to an idea of, of curiosity about those things which we have not experienced for ourselves. And this happens in all kinds of different situations. Think about the times when you've asked a friend about something that they've done or a place where they've been to where you've never, that you've never been to or you've never experienced. Or think about ways of when someone has gone through perhaps an illness of some sort and you're wondering what it was like for them. That seems fitting for us right now in the reality of COVID. How many conversations have you had with individuals when they have had it and you, you haven't? And you ask, well, how did you feel? How did you react? How long did it last? What did it feel like? All of these things, this natural curiosity about things which we have not experienced. I'm feeling that right now, kind of on the opposite side of this whole COVID situation. Tomorrow, as I'm recording this video, tomorrow I'm getting my second vaccine shot. And I'm wondering, how is my body going to react to it? Am I going to feel okay? Am I going to feel tired? Am I going to feel achy or chills or, or a little bit as my immune system reacts to this vaccine? And so I've been asking all kinds of people who have, are, have already had their second dose of the same vaccine that I'm getting, what did you experience? How did you feel? When did it happen? How long did it last? All these things that I'm curious about, that once I'm over it and through it over the course of the next few days, then I'll be able to share that with others as well because I will have experienced it for myself. It's this idea, this, this whole overarching idea of sharing that which we have seen, that which we have felt, that which we have experienced. It's this idea of sharing that we call testimony. And testimony is at the heart of what we find in the scriptures today. Now, I love the scriptures as a whole, not just this one, but the ways that, that we have so many different types of writing, but such a large portion of the scriptures as a whole are stories that have been shared by individuals of ways that they saw God take action in the world, in the world around them, what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have experienced. They share the story and eventually it gets written down so that others may read it, may, may get a little idea of, of what they would have experienced. And it starts all the way back to the beginning. Think about the overarching story of God's action in the world, how it starts from the beginning when God lovingly and joyfully made all that which we see and touch and feel and experience as we look around this world that we are a part of now. And as various aspects happen, as various things continue to happen to these different individuals, they shared the story of what they experienced, of how they saw God in their lives, how they saw God take action, or times when they didn't see God take action, or when God was working behind the scenes, and all of these different things happen as people shared what they had experienced. This goes throughout the course of both Testaments, Old Testament as well as the New Testament. It covers many, many thousands of years throughout much of human history as we know it. And it culminates, at least for us in our understanding, it culminates in and around the event that we know as the Christ event, when God literally entered into the world physically, as one of us, as Jesus, as the one who is both man, fully man, and fully God. And the wonderful thing about all of these stories, including the Jesus story, is that there were individuals who were there to witness it. 
There were people who that were there for all of these different stories, for all of these different events, miraculous and mundane, and they shared how they had experienced it, what they had seen, what they had heard, what they had witnessed to be true. They give testimony. They share the story to that which they know to be true because of their experience with it. Now, I think about all these amazing stories and what it must have been like to have been there to to hear the teachings directly from Jesus, to walk in the same places where he walked, to see the amazing miracles that he was doing, or even to be the recipient to experience that miracle for yourself, a miracle of healing or a miracle of of casting out a demon or or to to see the way that he takes bread and wine or bread and 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 fish of small amount and somehow feeds 5000 people or to watch him walking on water or even to be Peter and to walk on water with him all of these different amazing mind-blowing stories that we can read about but that we were not there to bear witness to that we didn't actually physically experience it. And so we rely on the stories that are shared with us of those who were. Imagine being those people. Imagine the things that they must have experienced even at the end, through the course of Holy Week. Those who watched as he was put on trial. Those who stood there and watched his torture and his agony on the cross. Those who saw him die and those who witnessed him alive again. Folks, here we are, the second Sunday of Easter. Easter itself, the resurrection of of, of our Lord, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, whatever we want to call it, it was a week ago. And every single year on this Sunday, the featured gospel, not the story that we read or not the, 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 the aspect from 1 John that we read, but the featured gospel is the story that we commonly know as Doubting Thomas. And I really do appreciate that story because it speaks to this idea of bearing testimony, of bearing witness to what they have experienced. It picks up the night of Easter. So basically, like, we would have to rewind from now a week ago back to Easter. And even though some amazing things have happened, even though Mary Magdalene has come to the disciples and told them the tomb is empty, I don't know what's going on, but the tomb is empty. And then Peter and the beloved disciple, they run off and they see the empty tomb too. And they don't quite know what to make of it. And then Mary's still walking around and she actually encounters the risen Lord and has that experience of seeing him physically. And then she comes back and she shares that with the disciples. All of that has already happened and they don't know what to think. None of this is making sense. And they are so freaked out. They are so terrified of everything that has gone on, even with this evidence that they have of the risen Lord, these stories that they have heard or these things that they have seen, they've got themselves locked away because they don't know what else to think. And somehow the resurrected Lord comes through a locked door and is standing among them. And he's still bearing the marks of the crucifixion. The resurrection does not erase the crucifixion. He still bears the marks. And he tells them, look at the holes in my hands and in my feet. Look at the hole in my side. And you can bet, even though we don't necessarily hear about in the scriptures, that those disciples were putting their fingers in the nail holes and their hand in their side, just like he says to Thomas. Now that's the thing. Thomas is not there. And we hear that when, they, when the disciples have had this experience, this 
physical experience with the risen Lord and they share their testimony with him about it, he longs for the same thing. And he says, I want to put the holes, my fingers in the holes of his hands. I want to put my hand in his side. I want to have the experience too. And a week goes by and he gets that chance. Jesus literally says it. Thomas, put your fingers in the holes. Put your hand in my side. Touch me and see that I am alive again. It is I. I was killed. I am alive again. Have this experience. That's the story. And it talks about this physical, literal, firsthand account of what they had seen and touched and heard. That is what's at the basis for 1 John. Now, the thing, the background, the history of this letter, of course, there's all, all this scholarship that talks about it. It's thought that this letter was written near the end of the first century. It might have been written by John, the apostle who it's attributed to, because he was the one apostle that actually lived to old age. He was not martyred. So it's possible that he wrote this. It was possible that it was written by someone who was part of the community that formed around him in his later years, this church, this community of faith that formed around him. We don't exactly know, but what we do hear is this same idea of proclamation, this same idea of testimony. And it's testimony that speaks to the gospel. We share with you what we have seen. We share with you what we have heard. We share with you what we have experienced. And we offer this testimony because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that rested upon Jesus. The same Holy Spirit who is part of the Holy Trinity, one God in three persons. God, the Spirit, empowers us to share the testimony, to share what we know to be true because we have experienced it. They were there, seemingly anyway, as we hear. This is what we have seen. We know it to be true because of what we have experienced. Their story joins with the scriptures and joins in this larger overarching narrative of God's story of whatever it is that God is doing, whatever it is that God is accomplishing as reality continues to be invited forward through these many, many different events of God taking action in our world, one that seemingly culminates with the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And even though that accomplished things, I think it's still being invited forward. All of this joins together and the story, the testimony of those who have come before us joins in this larger story so that we may hear it, that we may experience their story and somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit, it begins to create faith. It brings us into a common faith. It brings us into a common fellowship or community and that's what we hear about. It is the desire of the author of 1 John that through the hearing of his experience or her experience, whoever it is, whoever the author is, that through the story of their experience, the audience will be brought into the community of faith, will be united through the power of the Holy Spirit in this common faith, this common community. But at the same time, the author also recognizes that as wonderful as all this is, and as, as we might also recognize, as wonderful as this community of faith, this, this common faith that we cling to, this faith in Jesus Christ, it does not erase that which is still broken in the world and that which is still broken with us. It may overcome it, but it does not erase it. And the, 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 the proclamation the story, the testimony of those individuals, as well as the same testimony that we ourselves are empowered to offer, is one in which we are honest about everything. 
honest about what we have seen that God has done and honest about what we have experienced. And even those things, wonderful as that is, maybe those things that aren't so great at the same time. There is a portion of this scripture that perhaps sounded familiar, almost like we had done it earlier in the service, because you know what we did. There's a portion of this service which is included in what we call the brief order of confession and forgiveness, something that we do every single week here in our Lutheran faith tradition. This idea of confession is very vital as we confess that which we know is true, that which we know is not so great, both about ourselves and our relationships with one another, those things that we have done and those things that we have said or those things that we have not done and not said that have damaged relationship and the harmony that exists between individuals and between us and God. We confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Those are the words. And we hear, if we confess our, I have to read it now. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. If we are honest about those things that aren't so great in our lives, it has already been overcome. Now, here's the really, really, really weird part about whatever it was that God was accomplishing, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Even though I can't understand it and can't really fully explain it, all I can do is testify and, and, and bear witness to the belief that I have and that I have felt and that I have experienced that when we make confession of something that we have done right now in the present that's not so great about us and our existence and our relationship, somehow the, the, the forgiveness that was made possible through Jesus on the cross and his death and his resurrection, which has already been finished, it's already done, and now that's real right here, right now. I don't get how it works, but I have felt this to be true. I have experienced it for myself when others have shown me grace. When the grace of God takes physical form in the life of someone else, they call that incarnation. When that which is divine, when that which is heavenly, when that which is divinely inspired or of God somehow puts on flesh. We say that about God becoming man, becoming human in Jesus. And we also see that when the grace of God, when, when this activity of God, whatever we want to call it, is embodied in the life of another person. All of this is part of this community that we are a part of, part of this faith that we express, even when we do not fully understand it. Faith is believing the promises of God, even when it goes beyond our ability to comprehend or explain. That's what we call faith. And what we proclaim is that God, who is faithful and just, loves us, forgives us because of God's great delight and joy in each of us. When we confess that, not just those of us who wear a collar or stand up here in front of the sanctuary week in and week out, but all of us, when we share the ways that we have seen that make, take shape in our lives, the way that we have seen it manifest in our lives or the lives of those around us, when we share our testimony empowered by the Holy Spirit, somehow that's our story joining into this larger story of whatever it is that God is up to. It is a wonderful, wonderful, holy thing that we do when we testify to that which we have experienced and that we know is true because we witnessed it firsthand. We are called to do this so that one day all may hear, one day all may feel and experience this amazing love for the one who made all of us and takes joy and delight in all of us and desires that we would all know that. It is true for you. It is true for me. It is true for all people. And we even hear that 
He has died for all the world. And Jesus himself says it, when I am lifted up, I draw all people to myself. The gospel is for all people. The love of God is for all people, and it is made real when we proclaim it out of our own experience.